Welcome to the Holy City Church Podcast Station. This is Pastor Angel. If you missed Sunday's sermon or want to listen to it again, you're in the right place. We're glad that you can take the time to catch up as we go through God's Word together. So I hope you're ready. But if you're not, grab your Bible. Let's get ready for what God has in store for us today. When you find John, First John, sorry, First John chapter 2, when you find it, go ahead and, st- and stand with me. Uh, we're only going to read verses 1 through 2. Uh, we're, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17, but I'm only going to read 1 through 2 for the sake of, of, uh, of time because it, it is a little bit lengthy today, so I, I don't want to take too much time. Uh, and verses 1 and 2 is, is the main focus of what we're going to talk about today and, and the, main, the main focus of it. So when you do find it, go ahead and stand with me. And he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the appropriation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this word you've given us today, Father. Thank you because you've given us this opportunity to come together as a family, Lord, as, as brothers and sisters, and, and just learn more about you, Lord. Father, whether we're here physically or online, Father, we pray that you take control of everything that's said, everything that comes out of my mouth, Father, to be your words and not my words, Father. And then I pray, Father, that you soften our hearts and open our minds to understand what it is that you have for us, Lord. Father, we, we ask this even now more because of, of the words that are going to be said by John and, and that you uh, inspired in him, Lord, that, that it's not easy words, but we ask that you allow us to understand that this is more than just what we have here, what we can see, Lord. Father, thank you again for everything you've done. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In our, in our first section last week, we looked at what it means to have an intimate relationship with God, right? If you, if, if you say that you, are, uh, that you have this uh, fellowship with God, means that you need to be living in the light, right? If you say you have fellowship with God and you live in darkness, then you really don't have fellowship with God, right? That's what we looked at last week. Today we take a look at what it means to stay firm in the light and the fellowship with God by having a clean life. And I don't know if you read through the letters yet. Uh, I sure have, and, and at times it can be difficult because it seems like John's words are very strong. Right, very strong words. When you look at everything he's saying, it's almost like it's an ouch moment every single time you read it. It's always like, oof, that hurts, right? Almost like if there was some type of urgency in his tone, right? And if you ask me, anytime the church begins to stray away Whoever God is using at that moment in time to speak should be speaking with an urgent tone, 
should be speaking with urgency. And I think that we lack in the church, in our present time, we lack an urgency. We keep thinking that just, you know, God is just giving us more opportunities and more time and, and, and He's just waiting judgment off because we have better things to do, right? We say, well, you know, this is more important right now and, and, and God can wait just a little bit until I'm done with what I'm doing, right? And we think that God's going to continue to do that, but He's not. That is definitely not the case. And I do think that John has this tone. John does have this urgency. But at the same time, he's actually being very personal with what he's saying. And I want to show you really quick what I mean. If you, if you have read, or, or, if, or even if just for today, you just... Listen to how we began verse 1, right? You're going to see a couple of times throughout the letter, John refers to the readers as little children. As a matter of fact, that's how we started, right? The first line was little children. This is actually a term that John uses to express a type of kind of family-oriented uh, a closeness relationship. He's not putting them down. He's not saying, oh, you little kids. No, he's, he's using it in terms as, as in a loving term, a family type of term. You know, as, as if there were some type of communion in between them. He's, he's approaching it like he was the father and, and those are his children. And you know, we don't tend, at least not in our most common way, we don't tend to speak down on our kids and, and make them feel bad on purpose. Sometimes we do by mistake, but it's not a, you know, for the most part, it's not something we do on purpose. I do know there are some occasions, so it's not a general overall statement. But, you know, ideally, we don't, as parents, we don't beat down our kids just because, right? We, we try to be uh, loving to them. And this is the way that John is approaching the church because, of the fellowship and the relationship that he has with God and the people there. So he, he's coming this way because he does have a fellowship with them. He knows these people. He knows the church. You know, he, not only that, he has a fellowship with God. So he can come to them in this manner. This is kind of the same approach that I'm going to take because it wouldn't be right for me to do so otherwise. So even if the words are strong, understand that I have an urgency for you to understand what John is writing because of the love that God has placed in me for every single one of you. And you know, as we dig deeper into this letter, it becomes obvious that John is taking us back to the basics of what it is to be a believer. And he does this by, by an inspiring love and affection. He shows us that with the way he approaches the people that he's talking to. Remember, this is a letter that he sent to someone, to churches, to people. And he loves every single one of them. He shows it the way he expresses himself. He's not trying to impress anyone. He's not trying to rebuke anyone. What he writes is loving wisdom. And he's placing himself as the head of the family 
And we should do the same thing. When we're reading this, we should put ourselves in the place of the kids. And he's our father, and he's loving us enough to tell us what he's going to tell us. But at the same time, keep in mind that these are words of warning and urgency. You need to listen to these words. And you need to listen to these words now, today, because tomorrow is not promised. None of us have a promise that tomorrow you're going to be alive. You say, well, I'll, I'll, I'll take this and I'll just, I'll put it there and maybe come back to it. No, no, we need to listen to what John is saying now, today, right now. So now as we look at what's going on, we know that John is dealing with people who have made false claims. And this tends to happen when, when we kind of start to stray away from the church. Right? When we start that process of just straying away from God's word and, and who God is, we, we, we start to, to misunderstand the words and kind of add our own opinions to it. And we've, we've seen this many times. We neglect going to the source of the truth. So then our opinions is what starts to kind of take over. Right? And then when we speak, rather than speaking God's truth, we're speaking on our opinions. And then we do this so much. That we start thinking that's actually God's word. You know, what I think that's what God, that's what's there. But you're straight away so much that even your opinion are not even based on God's word. And therefore, ignoring what's really true, right? And then we start preaching and we start teaching and we start guiding people with everything that's false. And this is what it looks like is what's happening here. So John had to counter these claims and assure his audience of the truth. He had to do something about it. He was like, wait a second, these people are, are in, remember, this is 90 years after Christ died. Uh, you know, things are getting a little bit watered down. People are kind of doing whatever. And you're going to see how people, false teachers are coming out everywhere. So he, he, he has to, he has to do something about it. And I want to look at some of those truths that are important for us to continue this relationship with God. As he tells us how our lives should be as we walk with God. And I want to, there's a couple of truths here and we're going to look at, there's three of them, okay? They're, they're pretty strong, so I want you to, to kind of just bear with me, okay? Uh, the first truth that we see is, we see it right in verses 4 to 6, if you know him, you will follow his commandments. And then we're going to read 1 John 2, 46. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. For whoever keeps his words, his word in him truly we love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in this way in which he walked. See, I find it interesting that this is something that John brings up. You know, everything that he could have possibly said, this is what he says. And this means that there has been some kind of false uh, assurance of salvation that was going around that area, those churches. There seems to be somebody who's, or a couple, or maybe many, who are preaching a false sense of salvation. 
Seems like there were people claiming to know the Lord, but in reality they were not even close to knowing who God is. They were really far from who the truth was. And his history is correct. We don't tend to ever, you know, ask new questions, right? Even, even in the time that we're living today, we ask these questions and we think we're so smart because we came up with a new question that nobody's ever asked. And you go back and this has been asked many times. We don't ask new questions. We just kind of ask the same questions over and over again. So if it's coming in our time to wonder and ask, how can we have assurance that we are saved? I'm sure it was coming during John's time for this question to come up as well. And if it's anything like in our time, I'm sure many were getting the wrong answer. Those people that were asking this question seriously because they really wanted to know you know, if it's anything like us, like in our time, because I've had this question asked, and I've heard people's answer, and man, those answers are just ridiculous. And I'm sure they were getting the wrong answer as well. If not, John would have not said anything. And John, so happy that he answers this same question, right? With this, what we read, he's answering that question. And this is important to understand that we we need to understand this response because the evidence of someone knowing God, someone having a relationship and a fellowship with God and being saved is that he keeps his commandments. That's the evidence that you're saved. That's the evidence that you have fellowship with God is that you keep his commandments. It's as easy as that. Following is a different story, but it's understanding is as simple as that. So if you say you know God, and you say you love God, if you say you have a relationship with God, then that means you're going to follow what he says. So I want to kind of break this down a little bit, right? Because I want to make sure we're clear on, on what it is that John is talking about. First, what, it, what does it mean to know God? And this, is, this must be something very powerful about this knowledge, right? Now, when, when we see this word here in this verse, right, know, know God, this is not factual knowledge. This is not something you say, well, I saw, therefore I know, right? Because I saw it or I studied and I read it. Okay, I know because I read it. That's not what he's talking about. You know, we, saw, we, we can see many people throughout history know intellectually of God, but still reject God. They'll be like, yeah, I, you know, many people saw Jesus do miracles in their faces. And they rejected him. And we don't even need to go to history, right? We can just see that now in our present time. Many people believe there's a God and believe that Jesus was a real person, but they reject his message. So knowing God means that you have an intimate relationship with Him. That means you know Him and He knows you. It's a two-way street. You can know God, but if God doesn't know you, and when I say know you, it's the same sense. God knows everyone. But if He has no relationship with you and you have no relationship with Him, you can have a relationship with Him and Him not with you, and you still don't know God. Right? It has to be Him having a relationship with you and you having a relationship with Him. Through this relationship is where Christ 
then reveals a special knowledge of God that no one can have unless it is given by the Son. This is when we come into His Word and, and then we have this relationship with God and we, we know God in a way that when we read His Word, we understand what exactly He's saying. See, someone will read what John just said right now out of just because, and it'll be like, John is crazy, he's a hypocrite, he's, he hates people, look at him, he thinks he's better than everyone. But when we understand who God is and, and he reveals the understanding of his word, we know how loving this is and how perfect this is what John is saying. So then how does this knowledge allow us to be obedient? Right? Because this is what he's asking us, right? If you know God, you're going to obey me. You're going to be obedient. So an experience of Christ and God the Father in which they are taken into the depth of your life changes the way we live. If you have a changed life, if God grabbed you and changed your life, then that means you no longer reject God. There's a change in your life. and Now you're no longer rejecting God. And therefore, when we don't reject God, we can be obedient to what he's telling us. Because we know who God is. We understand it. We have this knowledge of him. And then we have this intimate relationship with him. So therefore, he ch you know, we're changed by that because he changes that before we can even have that. Therefore, when he says something, we listen. If we know and trust the love of God, to know the love of God has for you is to trust it. Right? Whatever he asks you, you will do it because your trust that the right thing, right? You're trusting that what he's saying and what he's doing is the right thing. You have this love for God means you trust God. And even if you're going through the hardest thing or even if he's calling you out to do something that completely sucks, I don't want to do this. Or he's calling you to do something that you think you can't do. You trust in him. Therefore, you do it. If we say you have a relationship with God, if you know God, then you follow his commandments. So then what are his commandments? Right? I think that's, a, right? If you want to really follow God in your wall, you know, yeah, yeah, I agree, I agree. But, but, but what, what, what are his commandments? I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Right? If you say you know God and you follow his word, you need to follow his word for word. Everything he says. There's not pick and choose. Well, I know God and I like what he said here, but I don't, you know, I know God, but I don't like what he says here, so I'm not going to do it. No, it's word for word. And it's whether you like it, whether you don't like it, whether you understand it, whether you don't understand it, what God says, you do. And I know many want to change certain things that Jesus said because it makes things a lot easier. If you look at some of the things that Jesus said that are happening in my life, you say, well, if Jesus would have not said that, I would have not had to change my life. I would have been just fine. And it's harder to change than it is to just sit there where you are. Right? But the idea is that he asks and we follow. So if you're wondering whether you are saved or whether you really know God or not, you got to ask yourself this question, 
Do you follow His commandments? Remember, it's not specific. Oh, I follow the Ten Commandments. No. It's everything He says, word for word. If you say you know God and not follow His word for word, right? Then you don't know Him and you're a liar. I don't, I don't like to be called a liar. But he's saying, if you're saying that you know God, but you don't follow his commandments, you're a liar. If your life is not marked by your obedience, it is not possible that you know God the way, at least the way John is talking about. You might know a God, but you don't know this God. And this is not my opinion, okay? I know this. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just going off again. This is not my opinion. This is not my. This is John saying it. Look at verse. Uh, look at verse six. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And I want to be clear. We aren't called to imitate the way Jesus walked on water. Says, well, he Jesus walked on water, so I want to walk like Jesus did. Don't. And he's not talking about Jesus' perfection either. We know Jesus was perfect. He not sinned once. We're not called to do that kind of walking. But we're called to live and walk his everyday walk with God the Father. So if you look at Jesus, the way he lived his life. Right? If you want to know if Jesus is real, if it's true, if he is God, look at his life. Look at his life, and I'll tell you. Jesus was faithful. Jesus had a disciplined life of fellowship with God. And Jesus was obedient to what God said. And you have to realize how obedient he was, because he could have said, I'm not dying for none of these people. God said, yes, you are. And you're going to die for these people. That's the plan. It was created before time. And he did it. He didn't have to. He couldn't be like, uh-uh. I don't think so. He could have taken uh, Satan's uh, offer. All right, Satan, I'll do that because I don't want to die. On the cross, beaten, spit, hung. I don't want uh, none of that. He could have, but he didn't. He was obedient. So the point here is that the one who knows God will increasingly lead a righteous life. And because of this obedience, we know that we are in him. So here's the second truth this, that John is talking about here. He who hates his brother is still in darkness. Look at 1 John chapter 2, 9-11. to Whatever he says, whoever says he is the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light, in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever takes, whoever hates his brother in sin, who, sorry, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. 
See, not only our relationship with God is measured by our fellowship with Him, it's measured by our love and our fellowship with those of God's people. With all of us. Our brothers, our sisters. And we talked a little bit about this in the last sermon, but John is bringing it back up because if we say that we are in the light, yet we hate our brother, then our claim to fellowship with God, who is light, is fake news. And we hear this all the time, right? Everything is fake news nowadays. If you say that you know God, and you walk in light, and you have this fellowship with Him, but you hate your brother... And this is a general statement because it says your sister as well, right? It's just a general statement. You're a liar. You're a liar. And I know many have been wounded by someone in the church. I mean, I know I have so much that I can't even count with two hands. And I've lost count by now. How many times I've been hurt in the church by a brother or a sister. And I'm sure everyone here has experienced this. And I understand the feeling and the pain that comes from it. I understand that it's hard to deal with because we expect better. We expect better. We look at us here, at each other, and we say, well, this guy loves God. Therefore, he's going to do what God has asked him to do. Therefore, he's not going to hurt me. But we do it. So we have this expectation that you guys are going to be perfect. But then when you're not, we're hurt by it. Right? So when we have this expectation and, and it kind of falls through, it hurts us even more, right? You know, some even say following Jesus will be easier if it wasn't for all the Christians, right? So easy to follow God and to so follow Christ. But what makes it hard is us. <laughs> Meh, how hard do we make that? Because we are expected to be more, yet we fall short all the time. So it's easier to be a Christian if it wasn't for all Christians, right? That's what people say. I don't say that, okay? Some people do. Yet, even though they have failed us, this measurement still stands. Even though we have failed each other, because we have, none of us here are perfect. I failed you guys many times. This measure still stands. If we can't love each other, then we have no way to claim a real love for God. It's not possible. I mean, you can do all things, right? You can do all things perfect according to your standards. I did everything right. You can believe in the right things. You can do the right things. But if you don't love your brother or your sister, then you have nothing. And this is as plain and simple as it can be. We don't love. We have nothing. And I've been in ministry many for a while now. I'm not going to say how long because I just feel old. I've been in ministry for a while. I wasn't always doing anything good. I did a lot of ungood stuff. But I've seen it too many times. 
And I'm not the only one in here that's been in ministry for a while. They've seen this many, many times and can confirm what I'm going to say. I've seen many problems and many division within the church all because we forgot to love each other. Many times it's all because we forgot. There was no love. There was a lack of love. So therefore we, we have problems, we have divisions because we forget to love each other. Simple as that. You know, I've seen church buildings close down. I've seen people leave the church. You know, I've seen where cops have to be called because there's a fight and arguments. You know, I've seen where churches have to get lawyers involved. I mean, I've seen it. It's crazy. All because we forgot to love each other. And I mean, it makes sense, right? It makes change that the devil will attack the church this way, right? Because the Bible says a house divided against itself will not stand. So if we are divided, let's just go home. This is not going to last. If we, the brothers and the sisters of the church, are divided and are not loving each other, we're just going to tore this place down and stop wasting our time, right? The devil attacks the church that way. Because if I can't infiltrate and, and divide the church, that's it. And I've also seen sometimes it becomes too easy for people to place ministry or, or being right above the love of the body of Christ. Especially nowadays where everybody thinks they're right about every political issue there is going on. I'd rather be right even if you get mad at me. And I'm going to tell you that I'm right. And I'm going to shove it in your face and make sure you try to swallow my truth. And I don't care if you're hurt by it. Something that has to do nothing with God, right? But we are called to be united. And we must do it all with love. And if we can't do it with perfect love, we must do it also with repentance. And that's a big if. Because we're not going to. So we must come with repentance. So when we don't love perfectly, we need to be repentant about it. We need to ask forgiveness about it. Look, I'm sorry. I didn't love you the way you needed to be loved. The last truth is the one that no one likes. Do not love the world and the things of the world. Look at John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, 15 and 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in, this, in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So now John points out, a specific area of sin that is specifically threatens our fellowship with God. And that's worldliness. The love of the world. And nothing, nothing should ever take the place of God's love. Nothing should 
we should never love anything more than we should love God. And he brings this up because it is simple. It is impossible. Sorry. It is impossible to have a clean life and maintain a relationship with God if we love the world and the things of the world. And I know this is not something we, we like because uh, of what John makes is very clear, right? He says it's very clear, so we don't like it because if anyone loves the world, if anyone loves the world, the Father is not in him. I know that's tough because it's easier to love the world than to hate it. This is a battle we all face. I'm not standing up here saying, I do not ever have this problem. I do. I, this is a battle for me. There's a lot of things in the world that are so much easier to deal with and so much more fun. But if it makes it any easier to accept this challenge, John is not talking about a rejection of the physical world. You know, he's not saying, okay, guys, Burn the world on fire and everyone in it. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the not loving the act of sinful humanity that is united in rebellion against God. He's talking about the sin of this world. Everything that goes against God. You do not love those things. If anyone's wondering, he actually even goes specific about what those actions are. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the desire of a prideful life. And I mean, I can come here and just literally go through like a whole hour of just examples, right? Because this is very easy to come up with examples and I mean, I can go all day. But I want to show you one example. And I think we can all relate to this example. And it's not even an example that we've, you know, lived out here, right? This is, well, it's, it's an example. It's a biblical example. It's not even part of my life or anything. It's just an example in the Bible. That way I don't pick at anything. Right? Well, ain't just picking on me. No, no, I'm not. Look. Genesis chapter 3, verse, verse 6. I'm not going to read it. But if you want to look at it. And I don't know if anyone remembers the story of Adam and Eve, right? I'm going to make an assumption that we all do. But just if you don't, that's okay. We can, we can talk about it later if you want. But what does the scripture say about what happened with Adam and Eve, or specifically with, e with Eve before she sinned, right? If you look at that verse, she took the forbidden fruit when she saw that the tree was good for food. And I mean, I can just picture it. This must have been the best looking fruit or the best looking tree in that whole garden. And God said, hey, don't touch it. Don't eat off of it. You know, everything else, not that one. It must have been very pretty for, for Eve to even catch the attention of it, right? And I'm sure she looked at it in the same way that I look at mango trees. I see a mango tree ready to go. Meh. 
the best. It's the best. I don't know. It makes me feel so good eating a nice, good mango off the tree. Right? Same thing. She must have been like, wow, this fruit is awesome. This is going to be so good for me. It's just going to make me feel so good eating this fruit. It's going to make my flesh very happy. Let me tell you, when I eat a mango, it makes me very happy. And I'm sure she thought by eating this fruit was going to make her very happy. So then what did she do? She went after the lust of the flesh, whatever, whatever made her feel happy. Then she looked for the forbidden, uh, she, looked, she took the forbidden fruit when she saw the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. She saw how pretty and desirable it was, and it pleased her artistic uh, sense in her. She was like, so pretty, so beautiful, look at it. And I'm the type that eats with my eyes first. If I think it looks good, I'm going to eat it. If I don't think it looks good, it could be the best tasting thing in the world. I'm not going to eat it. It must have been so pretty, so awesome looking because she disobeyed God's direct command when she took it. So it must have been very pretty to disobey God. So what did she do? She went after the lust of the eyes. She says, I like this. This is awesome. I'm going to go after it. Whatever it takes. If it's disobedient, I'm going to because it's pleasing to my eyes. Then she took the forbidden fruit when she believed that it was desirable to make one wise. She says, it looks good. It was going to make me feel good. And it's going to make me... So smart, everyone thinks I'm going to be pretty awesome. Right? She said, Adam is going to look at me and I'm going to know all these things. And he's going to be like, wow, you're so awesome. You're the best woman in the world. She's going to be admired by everyone. We know that there wasn't many. It was just him, but still. She was after the pride of life. So now replace that fruit, replace the apple with one or the many things that we are fighting against God, that, that we fight against God for the attention, right? Replace it with one of those things in your life that's constantly in competition with God, whatever it is, whatever it is. Just replace it. We all have these desires. None of us are exempt from it. We all struggle with these desires. But the problem comes when we love these desires more than we love to obey God. Because the moment you prefer your desire and you're going to do your desire, you're saying, God, what you're saying is not important because I'm going to do what I want to do. Therefore, you're disobeying. Take it how it is. And I know some may argue, well, there's nothing wrong with a little pleasure, right? 
I'm not going to disagree. Why wouldn't we enjoy the things that God has created? Not to go home and be depressed and do nothing. God has created many beautiful, amazing things that we can enjoy and take pleasure in. But if we're neglecting the will of God because of the desire that you have, that's not a desire. It's not a good desire, no matter how good it makes you feel. You say, what makes me feel so good? Is it going against God's will? Yes. Then it's not good. It's not good. You can paint it however you want. It's not good. Just because it, it makes you feel good doesn't mean that it's right. You know, if we, if we look at everything that John spoke about sin-wise in just this few verses, if we do the opposite of him, it makes anyone feel good. You know what I mean? I, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Right? I don't have to obey anyone. It's easier to do that. But it's all sin. And look, God knows we have a desire. But it's clearly not intended for it to be what influences us. Our desires is not what should be influencing us. Because we have a lot of desires that we should probably not pay any attention to. Those desires that we do have needs to come from God. If the world is the one changing those desires, then of course we're going to go against God's will. But if God is the one that's changing those desires, then yes, we're going to obey Him. You know, I wish I had more time. I can go over this chapter, man. I'm, I'm already past what I usually do. So I just want to finish with this, right? Because I want to bring you back to the beginning of this chapter. Verse 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. That's what's behind everything John said. His purpose for that is so you may not sin. And he's not writing this so we can be perfect. Right? He's, saying, he's not saying, hey, I'm writing because that way you know this, therefore you're going to be perfect. So here it is, perfection. Do it. I want to see perfection. It's not what he's saying. We know that's not possible. But he writes so that we don't get ourselves into a situation where we will sin. He's saying, look, these things are going to get you in a bit of a problem. Stay away from it. Saying you disobey God, you're going to sin. Stay away from disobedience. If you're going to hate your brother, it's going to get you into sin. Stay away from hating your brother. If you obey God, you will do His will. You love God. Your godly brother and sister, you're going to be obedient. You reject the things of the world, therefore you love him more. It has never been the intention for me or, or, or the disciples 
to preach perfection while we live in this world. It's never going to be the case. Don't ever think that I ever say you need to live a perfect life. But just because we're not perfect doesn't mean that we should put ourselves in a situation that will make us fall. Right? My mom used to tell me that all the time. Hey, don't go down the dark road. She wasn't saying, oh, because you're going to get attacked or anything. It's like, you know, you're going with your girlfriend. Don't go down the dark road. Because you know you're going to do something that you probably shouldn't be doing. If you're addicted to porn, stay out the internet. Don't put yourself there. If you have self-control issues, stay away from the dark alleys. You're alone with your girlfriend. Don't go there. Find someone to be with your girlfriend if you know you have a problem with that. If you have issues with alcohol, don't go to the friends. Don't go with your friends to the bar. If you know your friends are going to get drunk, what are you doing with your friends at the bar? You know that you're going to trip. Don't put yourself in that situation. Don't tempt or test yourself. Even if you think that you're doing, that what you're doing is going to bring someone to Christ, right? Because I I heard this so many times as I grew up, right? I go to the strip club, so maybe, you know, I'll change somebody's heart and they'll accept Christ. No, you're not. You're not going to go drink and change someone's heart. You're not. bigger chance you will fall into you know the temptation over anyone who is actually going to listen to you preach the gospel but again it's not a call to be perfect you will fall while you're fighting for your life but look at what John says but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ, the righteous. John made it clear that sin is an occasional fact in the life of a Christian. We don't live sin. We don't live out sinfully. It just comes every now and then. We break and we fall. Yet he makes it clear that there is always forgiveness if we confess our sins. And we talked about what he was confessing your sin this Wednesday, right? You can talk about it later if you want. What does that mean? But John wants it also to be clear that the Christian should be concerned about sin. We should just wouldn't just sit back and let it be. No, we should be concerned about the sin in our lives and the sin in our brother's life. God's desire is that you may not sin. Yet if we do, there is provision made an advocate, a defense lawyer on our side, and that's Jesus Christ himself. So when we do fall, when we do fail, because we are going to, you just have to remember, we don't just stay in that hole that we dug ourselves. We know that Christ saves us and forgives us if we come to him. 
Hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. If you have any questions, would like to connect, or listen to our library sermons, jump right over to our website at www.holycitychurch.us. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and remember, this podcast is not intended to replace your time at the church. So we hope you have a blessed week, and talk to you again next week on Catch Up with Holy City Church. Thank you.